Riddler and Two-Face team up to take over Gotham City. The only thing standing in their way is the Dark Knight himself. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb Boucher. I'm Connor Izagari. And welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. Today we're talking about the 1995 superhero film Batman Forever. Um, if it looked like my my synopsis was not the best, it's because it's Batman week anyway, and I've already done Batman Robin on the show, so I did not try as hard, admittedly. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it right now. With that said, um, this film was made, and we'll get more into it on production, but quick little, like, quick little background. Uh, made in direct response to the backlash that Batman Returns got for its dark tone, this film is known for going the complete opposite direction. Gone was the dark tone, the camp that was very present in the first two films, but balanced well with the um, darker tone that Byrne went for. That was gone. The camp went way up. Um, so essentially, like anything that Byrne brought to the table and to the franchise that he established that fans loved, gone. Um, so before, before we get into like more of that on our production, um, I'm going to kind of shoot it off to you here, Connor, for the Orange Mail score and then afterwards, uh, your personal relation to this film. And kind of like really the initial four films we got in the 90s, like your relationship with them. So over to you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, Batman Forever. Uh, yeah. Weird. We ended up doing this like in the first 10 episodes of the show. There's two Batman movies. <laughs> uh, just worked out like that. Uh, we wanted to do Batman week on all of our shows and there's not a lot of shitty Batman movies to pick from. So this is what we ended up going with on beyond the bad, uh, 39% rotten tomatoes score, uh, 39 critics score 32 audience score. So this is pretty universally hated. Uh, Curtis consensus reads loud, excessively busy and often boring. Batman Forever, nonetheless, has the charisma of Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones to offer mild relief. And I will argue that this film's a lot of things. It is not boring. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's just, you know, my thoughts. Surprisingly, it was up for three Oscars. There's not a lot of Oscar-nominated films that we're going to be covering on this show because typically shit movies don't get nominated for Oscars. Doesn't happen very often. But yeah, but I mean, this is where we're usually a jackass film doesn't get nominated for an Oscar. You get Bad Grandpa or this have an Oscar nomination. <laughs> True, but that's for makeup, which I would argue probably well deserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. No one knew that was Knoxville. <laughs> that's that's the point. Otherwise, yeah. that movie doesn't work. <laughs> um, Batman Forever was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Sound, and Best Sound Editing. Uh, it did not win, thank Christ. Um, but it was nominated for three Oscars, this movie, which is astonishing. Um, it grossed $336 million on a $100 million budget, which is fucking insane in 1995. <laughs> $100 million. Holy hell. Oh, yeah. Batman 89 had a like $35 million budget. 
And yeah, shit went up. But still, a decent enough hit to warrant a sequel, which we covered back in episode one, Batman and Robin, and we all know how that ended up. Yeah. No, it is amazing sometimes to go back, because, you know, people forget, like, especially people you just don't, and I'm not going to try not to be, like, put too many people down, but people you just obviously don't like to look for context and stuff, context when it comes to a lot of these things. Um, I don't mean that like a political stance, but, like, more of, like, I can't, the people that are like, I can't watch old movies because they're too goofy because you can't wrap your head around like films made at a certain time. Um, but like, sometimes people look at that and be like, well, that's not a lot of money. Well, it's like, yeah, now 336 is like what it seems like almost every other big budget film makes in one weekend at like a minimum. But like back then in 95, that was huge. That is equivalent to close to the billions that some of these films are making now. Like take, you know, take inflation and stuff into account. Like, yeah, that is huge fucking money, money, especially for the third film. And at that time, a franchise like, you know, the fourth set of films, even with the changing actors and stuff, are essentially on one consecutive timeline. So it's like your third film. And, you know, like I said, we'll get more into it, but the backlash from the tone of the last one. And yet this made a shit ton of money, like a lot of fucking money. Yeah. It did. I I guess these are considered one franchise, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. But the shift is so, like, the shift in tone is so fucking jarring that it's hard to really put these in the same, thing, like, the same league as Burton's films. Uh, do you, like, do you just consider it to be, like, Batman Forever to be just a direct sequel to Batman Returns? Yeah, I consider the first four one set of like an actual timeline uh, or chronological set of films um and yeah don't get me wrong it's strong but like that's where like being a massive horror fan kind of comes into play because it's not like the horror franchises are known to do that occasionally or have things where you're like wait what does that make sense so it's like for me i'm like used to it um and it's like if anything as we've seen especially as i've gotten older you know you have your fans that you're really really they love the Tim Burton ones or they love the Schumacher ones instead. There are people that like that really like that campy factor that Schumacher up so considerably with his two films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I personally, yeah, I get it. It is absolutely jarring. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one set of films. I, I, and actually, I would argue that like, yeah, the tone's jarring, but the, the fact that there's three Batmans, three actors portraying Batman in a, one single continuity, that's a little bit more jarring. <laughs> I've read a theory that the uh, the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are films that take place in the Burton timeline in a universe where like everyone found out Bruce Wayne was Batman, so they made movies about it, which is cute. That doesn't really add up, but it's cute. I will say this: um, you could lead some credence that this is its own separate timeline, thanks to the very recent run. I know you and Colton, and what I've been able to listen to, mentioned brought it up. Uh, but in the very recent run of Batman 89 comics that came out that continued directly from Returns. So you could make the argument now if you wanted to and you were that in love with the Burton films to say like, well, yeah, these are a separate timeline because that comic has kind of helped now do that. Yeah. But if you're looking at just the films, yeah, it's it's to me, it's one initial thing. I mean, they were literally coming out one after the other. So fair enough. Uh, personally, I, I've been a fan of Batman forever since I was a kid. I had this on tape. I was, you know, watching it all the time. I had the first four Batman films on tape and I would just cycle through them. 
And Forever is a film I can't hate. It's not a great movie, but I can't hate it. I enjoy it too much. It's a movie I'll put on if I'm, you know, bored and I want to just kind of put something on and, you know, I don't do something else while it's on. I have no hatred for this movie. I just, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm glad that your nostalgia has not tainted, has not lifted. Um, Cause I, I mean, look for me, like when I was growing up, I actually, I remember as a kid and I mean, technically it works cause that's what these two films were made for. But, you know, Batman Forever and Batman and Marvin were my favorites as a kid because they were cartoony and over the top and campy and stuff. But and usually I'm honestly not one to lift like that nostalgia tin and be like, oh, this film from my childhood that I love so much sucks. I mean, I see people do things like Space Jam. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I still like Space Jam or, you know, Small Soldiers or anything covered. Insert any other film from my childhood that I like fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like that initial set of films. Like, I'm like, no, fuck you. The first two are great. And I'm not taking my nostalgia glasses off of those. I, I still enjoy them. I, but something happened in this case where I get, and it could be because of the tone. I got older and I finally watched Tim Burns' films, Batman, Batman Returns. And like, that's when I went, like, I did kind of go, like, no, I, I am more apt to go back to Burns' films than I am Schumacher's. Um, I, it's really hard for me to watch them because I just sit there going, God, this is so fucking. I do agree with the noise. I'm like it's so noisy and just over and just not even a fun over top for me. And I am at a point where yeah, I I I prefer the burn films. I'll go back to the burn films a little bit more than I will the Schumacher films. Oh, in in no in no shape or form is Batman Forever like one of my favorites. It's it's a nonsense movie to me. It's it's goofy. It's stupid, but it's a brand of stupid that I can enjoy. It's you know it's so bad it's good. It falls into that category. Uh, if we're talking favorite Batman, like Michael Keaton, obviously is my favorite Batman. Favorite Batman films still goes to Christopher Nolan, but you know maybe uh, Matt Reeves and Pattinson will break through that. We'll see. See, I'm seeing it on Thursday night. So, yeah, um, as of rec- as of this show coming out, we'll both have seen it. But uh, we hope we liked it. Yeah, as we look into the future. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, these are just noisy films. And like I said, if they work if you're a kid, which is what they marketed this one in Rob, Batman and Robin for. So they do absolutely work if you're a kid. It's just like I said, once you get older, like unless you're like really into the camp, these these two do not hold up as much. Okay. Like, like everything from the way Gotham City's designed to like the villains and uh, even like his two picks for Batman, even though I actually would say like Val Kilmer did not do a bad job in this film i actually think he's not a bad batman and bruce Wayne, like at all i think in, in his prime val kimmel actually did a pretty damn good job um but it doesn't hold a camera like michael Keane, or even at the time because i know it was on at the time they kept you know kevin conroy voicing batman the fucking animated series like just doesn't hold a camera with that you know well i think that one of this film's biggest strengths is the way it treats the duality of bruce wayne and batman I think that's very smart and very cool about like seeing how Bruce Wayne is kind of dealing with the idea that he doesn't want to be Batman forever. There it is. He is looking for a way out, but he's also trying to find a way to reconcile, you know, his, his duty as a, as a hero. And I, I wish the film had gone more into that well, kind of. Yeah. I have some of that. In my um, development, hell, there is an actual. This was not originally meant to be the way it was. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's... Hashtag, I'll get to more. There's a hashtag released to Schumacher cut. <laughs> yep. God damn it. I don't know how good that will be. I mean, I know well, there's a scene where like Bruce Wayne hugs a giant bat. So like, again, I'll get into it more on what uh, Schumacher actually wanted to do, but yeah. Um, I will get into that on like what this film was actually supposed to be as compared to what we got. So, but yeah, I agree that Kilmer was not terrible, which is a rare thing for me to admit. I really fucking hate Mel Kilmer, <laughs> but he's, you know what? He's, he's not bad. Uh, don't, don't tell Josh you hate Mel Kilmer. He apparently he's a fanboy. <laughs> why? In what? I mean, Tombstone's great, but, like, that's kind of it. He said he watched the documentary, and he uh, cried a bit. I watched Val, too, and I was like, fuck this guy. He's lying to us. <laughs> hey, look, you and Josh have that talk. I'm not I, – I didn't expect to touch a nerve with him that one night. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I hope he did. Did he hear our Island of Dr. Moreau episode? Because we went off on Val Kilmer. Don't know. <laughs> Shit. I'm not the hugest Falcon fan. I do think like he had his occasional good films where he where he was good. Like I'm I'm I am a big fan of Tombstone. Um uh underrated film in my opinion, like Ghost in the Darkness, great fucking movie. Um I'll even I, this isn't a great film, but like I said, he's a, he is good in this as Batman and Bruce Wayne. I think he's honestly, I'll say it, he's one of the few actors that actually to me pulls off both roles. And mm-hmm. had there been a stronger script, we would have he would have fucking aced it. Because you can tell it's there. You know what? I'll give you that. I I agree. I agree. It's hard for actors to somebody, you know, the most of them either are a great Bruce Wayne or a great Batman. Very few have found the middle ground. I'll give it to Val. He did. Yeah. He was able to find a middle ground. Some goofy moments aside, but yeah, he found a he found a middle ground. Um, so there's nothing more we can we can unpack this movie. All right, starting with a little film, a little little movie called Batman Returns. You may have heard of it, you may not. I don't know. Um, was a critical and commercial success, but however, comma. It made 150 million less than the original. So WB, Warner Bros, being as historically awesome as they are about this stuff, immediately thought we need to seek a new direction. They were facing immense backlash from several merchandising companies. Um, McDonald's said we're not going to carry your toys anymore, all because they felt the film stone was way too dark and not, I kid you not, appropriate for children. I want everyone to let that sink in because of the film we're about to get that has been called the darkest back Batman film yet from numerous reviews that have been able to get published online thanks to the embargo getting lifted on Monday. But is McDonald's selling Batman toys now? I don't know. I don't buy kids meals at McDonald's. I do buy the chicken meals though. I would probably, I bet probably not, but I kind of agree with them. Batman Returns is very much not a kid's movie. But that's that shouldn't be a surprise because the first Batman was not a kid's movie. Like, why is this a shock to Warner Brothers? 
No, well, and to me, yes, Batman Returns is dark, but like to say to me to be that dark to to create such a backlash, no, especially like I said, the bat the, the one that's been advertised that we're getting has been advertised as the darkest one. Matt Reeves has gone on record saying it's damn near a horror film at points. It's a film noir, and yet somehow this was too dark in 90, 92, I think is when Batman Returns came out. Yeah. Yeah, that was too dark. How the times have changed. I mean, horny penguin man aside, it's it's hard to justify that. I agree. But then Forever is even hornier. I mean, everyone in Forever wants to fuck everybody else. But you you and Colton touched on it in Batman, and I will say that, yes, I noticed just watching the Schumacher ones in, like, a span of two fucking months. Um, wow. The horny levels running throughout this series, which is actually will lead to later. Trust me, I won't let this one die, folks. This will come back up. Intent to awards. Um, is off the charts insane like wow from how like characters just want to fuck batman to like the complete like we're not going to try to make the female villains remotely like people they're just going to sex puns constantly like jesus christ yeah like i guess you know kids don't want to see i i I guarantee you the problem batman returns had with kids is danny devito trying to murder a bunch of children <laughs> but you know forever has i mean a lot of sexual innuendo it's got nipples on the bat suit for the first time cod pieces big old cod pieces a direct yeah. shot of that bat ass like i don't know who this was for but it wasn't kids <laughs> <laughs> oh it was for children just not all children <laughs> I don't like the implications of that statement. <laughs> I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of always sunny now. No, because the implication. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, yeah. But so, I'm sorry, go go Oh, I got nothing else. <laughs> oh, I was like, going. So, with that said, believe it or not, Keaton, Michael Keaton himself, was originally on board. For this third film, he actually approved of Joel Schumacher as a director. And before you come at me, so I know people are gonna be like, "What the fuck?" And the story he wanted to tell, because because it's all calm down real quick. It wasn't what was put to the fucking finished film. Schumacher was a big fan of Batman Year One, and he wanted to adapt that into the movie. He wanted to incorporate a whole lot of Year One into this movie, and his film was actually darker so it was it still had camp elements but it was a little probably more in line with what burn was doing so it did have a dark element it did yes had camp and it was going to adapt to year one he really he was very keen on exploring the psychological aspects of batman which you do kind of get in the finished film some of it makes it but he really wanted to go further in depth with that that's cool it's a good idea uh so i guess the I guess the more we learn about these films, the less blame Joel Schumacher seems to be getting, which is interesting because he got the brunt of that back in 97. Yep. Mm. You want to know who we should blame? And I'll tell you why. Warner Bros. 
because they refused this ideal. They said, fuck no. It wasn't a no. It was a fuck no. And because of that and the direction in turn that the film was taking because they were refusing it and telling them, no, we want something campier. We want lighter. People didn't like that tone. We don't want that. Drop that shit. Stop it. Michael King would ultimately exit the project. That is why he left. It had nothing to do with Schumacher originally coming on board. Nothing like that. It's because Warner Brothers wanted to shut the fuck up about wanting something significantly different from Batman Returns. Well, I admire Michael Keaton's commitment to the craft, especially now that he is coming back because he did like the script that The Flash was uh, was having. And I, I like that Michael Keaton is, you know, choosy like that. He doesn't just, you know, it's, I don't think it's about money for him. I think it's about the product. Yeah, it, it shows that especially you guys kind of talked, you know, something to talk about before, you know, there was so much against them when he first got cast as Batman for the 89 film. And people were thinking like, oh, no, not Michael Keaton. Because, you know, like you said, like you guys talked about, he was mostly a comedic actor. Like people didn't really view him as like how we view him now. Um, so for him to like prove people wrong and become a huge success, he comes back for two. You could tell he cared about this character. Like he cared about the Batman character. And, you know, for him, it was like, okay, you know, some shit's going down. They're not letting Byrne come back for the third film because of the tone and blah, blah, blah. And they got this new guy, but you know what? I really like what he wants to do, and I like the story he wants to tell, so I'll stay on board, you know, and keep playing this role. I like, nonetheless. So for him to still be on board, but then one of us like, no, no, fuck that. We don't want this story because no one liked the tone, and it was too inappropriate for children last time. So all that shit you want, scrap it. Which caused him to be like, you know, then fuck you, I'm out. Like, I agreed to this film, and you won't do the complete opposite of that. I'm gone. Find a new Batman. You know, I bet that doing that cost Michael Keaton a lot. Because I think that backing out of that, you know, Warner Brothers probably branded him as difficult. Tried to, you know, fuck up his career a bit. I mean, it took a while before Michael Keaton was in some high-profile stuff again. Like, not to, like, Birdman. Mm Mm-hmm. And that sucks because he's a very good actor and it's, he seems like a cool guy too. So to have, you know, Warner Brothers sabotage him like that is so shitty. Yeah. And literally had they just done the film that he agreed to, I guarantee you we're going a lot differently. I bet the film would have been better. Schumacher's Batman films would have been better taken. But yeah, so you have it on record at this point, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying Joe Schumacher is completely free here. There are some ideals that are 100% his ideals. Warner Brothers is probably the much more bigger reason these films turn out the way they did than Schumacher was. He was trying to appease them. I believe it. I believe it. You know, Warner Brothers, I mean, especially the past few years, have also, you know, fucked up the DCEU. So clearly they don't know how to handle these properties. No, they, and it's just, and it's kind of funny because I've said it before. It seems like now, like very recently, I would say since Aquaman 1 came out, that they have finally figured out what the fuck they want to do. Because um, for once, like this has been the first year, 2022, where everything they've advertised for their films this year, I'm actually excited to see. I'm actually curious and I want to see. I can't remember the last time I've had that feeling with like DC slate of films. Yeah, and all they had to do was just shut the fuck up and let these filmmakers do their thing. And that's why Peacemaker was so good, because James Gunn oversaw everything. That was his mm-hmm. baby. 
And looks like the, the Batman is the same deal with Matt Reeves. Looks like, you know, I'm hoping they have the same laissez-faire approach to the Flash and Aquaman too, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see, especially with those because they come out later. I think I think Black Adam's coming out before. And Black Adam, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it is amazing how it, they just seem to want to take so Most because Warner apparently is just a stubborn bastard of a studio. Doesn't want to, doesn't want to let, you know, let it go. But with that, obviously, you know, Mike Kane has left. So now comes the new, new, the new fun thing of uh, casting for a new Batman. Now, I have the Wikipedia pulled up here because I, when I was looking this up, literally for almost every main role we have here, the cast list of people who were concerned was insane. So I'm going to throw off your names here, ladies and gentlemen, for, their, this, for Batman, okay? Keep in mind that they were pursuing, because he left, they are like, hey, let's pursue a younger Batman. Because again, like horror films, fuck continuity, right? Um, the biggest, the, the runner-up, the one they pursued hard was a young Ethan Hawke, who has later stated it's the biggest regret of his fucking biggest regret of his career. <laughs> I can absolutely picture Ethan Hawke as Batman. I think that would have been really cool. Of course, we wouldn't have gotten the before trilogy, so I don't know if it's worth it. But um, yeah, I don't know. In this movie, I mean, take Val Kilmer out, put in Ethan Hawke. Do you think the movie's better? No. Okay. I think Ethan Hawke would have done fine, like a young, because this would be before training day, I believe. So this is like before he became, you know, people really knew who he was. So, I mean, I would, I would argue like what, if he had done this, would we have gotten something as badass as training day out of it down the line? Cause I mean, that's the film that really made to me, I think made him like, well, I know he had the before trilogy that started before that. Mm -hmm. So, well, before Sunrise came out in 95. So it would have been, that wouldn't have happened if he had done yeah. that. Okay. But then does Ethan Hawke become a superstar because of Batman Forever? Or, you know, it, I get the feeling oh. he's nowhere near as difficult as, as Val Kilmer. So he probably might have stayed on for Batman and Robin. And mm. would that have tanked his career? Would he have had the Clooney charisma to dig, out, dig himself out of that hole? Right, because now he's—I would say—he's in a great place right now. With, um, I mean, I, you know, for me, when he made decisions, apparently just do a shit ton of horror films, and he's been in like some some horror films I've really enjoyed. I mean, like this year alone, he's playing the villain in Moon Knight. He, you know, I've been hearing very early praise for his villainous role in the upcoming Black Phone. So it's like, you know, had he done this, would he have what he's having? the career he's had and also what he's having now. And it's like a lot of, you know, experimentation now that he's older and can do that and have more fun. I don't know, but also in 95, like you would need like a, like a 12 year old Robin to compensate. That's true. You can't have Batman and Robin be the same fucking age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the only one. Um, he, keep in mind, everyone, these are people that were just starting out in the 90s. Keanu Reeves, Alec, and William Baldwin. Oh, my God. Dean Kane, Tom <laughs> Hanks. Dean Kane. 
Yep. Here, hey, here's a repeat from I think a prior episode. Kurt motherfucking Russell. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, God, they really wanted Kurt Russell. Yes, they did. Rafe Fines. Nineties Rafe Fines. I can see that. Yep. And then the last two names. Are you ready? Daniel Day Lewis and Johnny Depp. Not. No way would Daniel Day Lewis ever consider doing something like this. Even back oh, then. It's beneath him. Oh, it's leagues beneath him. Uh, Depp, though, 90s Depp, like Ed Wood era Johnny Depp. Maybe. Like, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. I don't see Johnny Reeves at all. And the Baldwins, no. God, no. (laughs) No. I'll say Keanu Reeves. (laughs) I love Keanu Reeves, and he can do no wrong by me right now, especially because of the John Wick franchise. But neither then nor now do I see him as fucking Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's I, I don't know what the quality is to play a good Batman, but you know it when you see it, you know? Like, in the trailer for The Batman, I immediately knew, like, oh, Robert Pattinson has it. But I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, it, and you know, it's fun. You know, it's funny because even, you know, I say all this, but like bringing up the Batman and the backlash people have had over fucking Robert Pattinson. So it's like, no matter what, there's always going to be some kind of like, I can't imagine that person doing it. And it all comes down to until we see the footage, until it exists, we don't truly know. Who knows? I'm, I'm sitting here saying, I can't see Karen Reeves, but who fucking knows? He could have gotten it and it been, he crushed it. And next thing you know, Keanu Reeves is even bigger than I would argue he already is anyway. Um, like, who, who, who fucking knows? But as it stands now, no, oh, no, I cannot see Mr. Whoa <laughs> pulling this off. I'm Batman. <laughs> I don't buy it. I know. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis, I, I just keep thinking about that. Like, if he had lower standards, I'd love to see the kind of paycheck gigs he would have taken. Because <laughs> he wouldn't have, like, he wouldn't have lost any intensity. He just would have done a lot more projects. <laughs> and, you know, I think he'd be a pretty killer joker. Ooh, yeah. Because he's, like, yeah. it's like being gangs in New York or there will be blood. Like, he goes to a crazy place very well. Yes, but I would be scared of him not getting out of that crazy place between takes if he played someone like the Joker. Oh, my God. Yeah, he'd murder some people. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying to think about. Um, okay, we got to talk about this. Because this, if anyone talks about like the, the sexism of Hollywood, as we know, ladies and gentlemen, there are plenty of films that you can probably name right now off the top of your head starring an aging male actor. We'll say he's in his 60s. Usually cast with an actress that is at best in her fucking 30s. And in the movie, they're always playing husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, right? It happens all the time in Hollywood. They don't give a shit. Apparently, Renee goddamn Russo, who was originally cast as Chase Meridian, too old to be paired with fucking Val Kilmer when they cast him. Uh, so she got dropped from the movie, even though she had already been fucking cast. 
Warner Brothers again. Yeah, there's yeah, there's the sexism in Hollywood, especially in the nineties. Oh my god. I remember uh somebody, I think it was um oh, who was it? Um I don't remember who it was, but she was uh she was told she wasn't like she was too old to be like a uh, a love interest and she was like 30. <laughs> it was fucking ridiculous. I'm going to keep thinking about who that was. Uh, uh, yeah, it's fucked up. That, yeah, I just had to bring that up because I, like, I was reading that. And I was like, are you fucking serious? Not Joel Schumacher, not, you know, anyone with common sense. Warner Brothers was like, oh, you can't you can't have this young man with a it's like they live in a world where apparently young women want to fuck older men, but young men do not want to fuck older women. It was Gina Davis. That's who it was. Yeah, she was 20 years younger than the lead, the star, and she was told she was too old to play his love interest. <laughs> she wouldn't say who, what movie it was, but she was turned down for that reason. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, like what? What do they think? Like, do they really think that like in in our world that like young dudes don't want to fuck older women? Because if they they clearly haven't been on Pornhub, <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, they think that you know the hotter an actress is, the better money it's going to make, which isn't necessarily true, and it's just this weird, you know being treated as a commodity thing that's always been a part of Hollywood. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just fucked. Yeah. It, it's gross. I want to bring it up. I'm not going to fucking name off the actors they had. They were looking for. They eventually got Nicole Kidman, as we know, but like it's just insane. Actually, two names that stay on, like Linda Hamilton and Sandra Bullock were considered. Um, I don't think any actress could have done this movie right because chase meridian is written so fucking horribly that's the thing too it's like it why did it matter if anything if i was renee russo i would just try screaming like fuck you i'm out anyway like this is terrible um oh moving on to our uh villains here before so before they land with Tommy Lee jones as harvey dent even though, you know, Billy D. Williams should have been the one to come back, so I was kind of set up, but whatever. Um, here, we got some powerhouse names here. Are you ready for this? Yeah. 90s, okay? Al Pacino. <laughs> no. Good. Martin Sheen and Robert, Robert De Niro. Damn, they were going. Like, they wanted big for, for Two-Face. Yeah. Yes, they were. And even um even uh Jim Carrey's role Riddler, um Robin Williams was heavily considered. Uh, Michael Jackson lobbied. He was not considered, but he lobbied. For oh, that. um. And then here it gets where it gets interesting. So, you, I'm going to name two the first two names. You tell me which one you I would have loved to have seen play. The Riddler, just because I love this actor. Um, you have John Malkovich, Brad Dourif. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, by the way, apparently he was um, he was considered before by Byrne to portray Scarecrow 
and was his original choice to portray the Joker. So again, guess he rejected that idea. Fucking WB, fucking idiots. Yeah, um, I, th- I remember reading that in the trivia for Batman '89. Brad Dourif has kind of just been circling the Batman franchise throughout the '80s and '90s and never got there. It is, God, oh, it is amazing. Uh, I so I, I know Robin Williams. They wanted him, but because of the way they fucked with him in '89 to get Jack Nicholson, he ref- he didn't want to be a part of this. He like they manipulated him into being bait to get Jack Nicholson for the Joker. And he resented Warner brothers because they never apologized to him about it. And so he turned this down because of that. Who was this? Robin Williams. Oh my God. I don't blame him on that one. Yeah. But as the Riddler, I don't know. I think the manic energy might've been too much. I feel like Robin Williams and the Joker were a match made in heaven that we never got to see. Yeah, especially 90s Robin Williams. That would have been fucking stellar. God. And some of the other names are interesting. Um, Kelsey Grammer was fucking considered, of all people. For the Riddler? Yes. Oh, because the Riddler's a genius and he played Frasier. I guarantee you that's why. That's why, probably. Uh, Matthew Broderick? Oh, no. Uh, Here we go. You want to hear some comedians? Apparently they were going comedian heavy. Uh, Steve Martin and Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider? Are you fucking kidding me? Yep. I'm, I'm almost surprised at Adam Sandler. I'm like, I don't see him as regular at all. <laughs> yeah, but like, I, all right, Steve Martin, maybe. Uh, more, I guess maybe like 80 Steve Martin, 90 Steve Martin. I don't see it. But Rob Schneider, I can't believe that was ever really considered. That's got to be just like somebody pitched a name and that was it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I was I was, I was like, really? Now, this one got me because it was going to happen. Mark fucking Hamill was it was going to get it. But contract issues for Batman, the animated series. Popped up and he couldn't do it. Good. I think that would have been too distracting. Yeah, that would have been. I don't. I wasn't. Not, like, it's cool to know like they were circling him, but yeah, I would have been down. I. I mean, yeah. I plus he just did such a great job as fucking the Joker on there anyway. So it's like we kind of won that one anyway. I keep thinking about Al Pacino as Two Face. Like I, I mean, know, right? He basically played Two Face throughout the '90s and everything he was in. Dude, Two Face. They were going hard for the type of actors they wanted. They're like. Nero, Pacino, Eastwood. Come on, guys. We can get one of them. Eastwood. Goddamn. Yeah. We got Nicholson. We can do this again. Yeah. That's yeah. You know, I, uh, I think if Two Face had been written like the way he is in the comics, a gangster style actor would have worked really well. Yeah. But yeah. the way, you know, he's basically a carbon copy of the Joker in this movie. Oh, oh trust me. I have a lot to say about that during the awards section. <laughs> um, and then finally, the last bit of like reading off names that I want to do for Robin, because as I think you guys touched on it in the Batman episode where he was in this group but got cut out and then got cut out in returns, but ultimately appeared in forever. Um, a lot of like huge, who's like big names now, but you know, starting out in the 90s. Um, so before I get into one big name, there, everyone's gonna be like, really? Um, Marlon Wayans had actually been cast 
originally, originally, but then when Schumacher took over, um, they got rid of him. Schumacher this time did make the call, say, like, I want to open up to other actors. So this was a Schumacher call, as opposed to the studio for all the other ones. I remember reading about that, and I think he got he got paid anyway. So he was like, fuck it. <laughs> I want to be mad. Like, I'm still getting paid? Yeah, fuck it. And you know what? Before I had seen Requiem for a Dream, I'd be like, really, Mullen fucking wins? But now that I've seen Requiem for a Dream, like, yeah, I that guy's a lot more talented than I had any ideal um, before seeing yeah. that movie. I agree. He's a very talented actor, and I think he could have done justice to Robin. Yeah, and in, in 2022, it would have looked very progressive for a lot of people. You know, that probably would not have been their intent. So just saying. Um, now for the holy shit name for some people, probably. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio was considered... Um, but he decided not to pursue the role after meeting with Schumacher. So I don't know what the fuck Schumacher said, but that turned him. Oh, that's freaky. Because this was, you know, Gilbert Grape, Leo DiCaprio. And he was young. Uh, I don't, hmm. I wonder if that would have derailed his career. I don't know. I, I, I feel like he would have been able to crawl out of it. I don't know, though, because in like the 90s, he was just, you know, he was in some dramas. He was the Gilbert Grape kid, Romeo and Juliet, and then Titanic. He was kind of seen as like a pretty boy. He wasn't, you know, a, a amazing actor. Like he didn't have that clout. So I don't know. And if he does Batman and Robin, he doesn't do Titanic. No, no that's true, too. And look what that did for Crystal Donsper. Now he's been relegated to NCIS, I believe. <laughs> he got demoted to TV and he's never been allowed to leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no offense to those who like that fucking long running show, but I'm just gonna tell you right now, as someone who's in the Navy, they don't they don't operate like that. Uh, moving on. Some other 90s who's who's that they considered Matt Damon, both of the Corys, Ham and Feldman, Mark Rauberg, uh Ewan McGregor, Truth Law, Alan Cumming. This one kind of made me laugh. Christian Bell. <laughs> that's funny yep and then finally scott's speedman underworld guy oh my god what happened to him he was in the strangers and then that's all i remember <laughs> um that's all for robin um yeah mark Wahlberg as robin i 90s mark Wahlberg. fear mark Wahlberg. i i would want that Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> Batman, you got to help me. <laughs> my family. <laughs> Come on. Oh, my God. But then, you know, Batman and Robin happens. No Boogie Nights. So. No Boogie Nights, no Ted 1 and 2 that I quite enjoy watching. I think Ted 1 and 2 still happen. <laughs> that seems like a fixed point no one can erase. Was it when Ted finds the porn he was looking at in the second one? Oh my god! Oh my god! My favorite moment is when they're having the fight in the hotel room and the TV falls on him and Mark Wahlberg's crying. My dick got squished by the TV. <laughs> He's like nearing tears. <laughs> <laughs> Good movies. Yeah, that's, that's the pinnacle of Mark Wahlberg's talent right there. Yep. I'll, you know... 
Say what you want about his action for I do think he I think he excels when he's in comedy. So he is funny as shit. Um with all those names said, just to fucking make it easy for everyone, because I know we just do a lot of names out there. What we got with the finished film was Val Kilmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, Nicole Kidman, and Chris O'Donnell. So not exactly like a bad group of people. In the 90s, this was some big fucking names. Um, Chris O'Donnell kind of on the, the new guy on the block um, at that time. Like I said, unfortunately, Brad and Roman kind of got him mostly TV work. And that's not like a day because I know TV is a lot different than it was a long time ago. There's a lot of actors that do both. Unfortunately, though, he kind of got that old school treatment of, oh, we don't want you to be in movies anymore. Just fucking sick to TV, dude. So well, basically, you know, we talked about that in the Batman and Robin episode. All those names were so big that somebody had to be the sacrificial lamb. And it sure as hell wasn't going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or George Clooney or Uma Thurman. It ended up being Alicia Silverstone and Chris O'Donnell because they weren't anybody that like really yet. And <laughs> that's just the them's a break. Yeah. Um, apparently, you know, I mean, in this film, you have Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey, who were big names. I mean, you could not touch Jim Carrey in the 90s. Like that guy was the top of the award when it came to fucking acting, especially comedian, you know, obviously comedies. Um, Val Kilmer, as we've stated, you know, I know we have our feelings, but like he was one of the top fucking actors of the 90s. Like he was everywhere in the 90s. So you weren't going to get rid of him, you know. And then Nicole Kidman, I she was she got lucky because this was like one of her first major roles. Um, so she just got really fucking lucky. Um with that out of the way, as far as you're probably wondering now, okay, so that, there's a cast as production you're probably thinking huh this gotham city does not look like the one i know from the past few films and you're right you're not wrong you're not on trucks well you might be on trucks but you're still right uh schumacher again so this is a case of this time being schumacher as opposed to the studio um obviously the studio wanted the lighter brighter campier tone schumacher responded by wanting to design gotham city with a different approach put his own little stamp on it um and let's see if I want to tell you his inspirations and let's see if you can see those in the film that in these two films. So you let me know by either your words or your facial expressions. <laughs> um, he was heavily inspired by the Batman comics of the 1940s and early 1950s NYC architecture of the 1930s and a bit of modern Tokyo. Um, he takes those three influences, makes them in a goddamn blender like Kid Rock does always and create the infamous neon and statue city that we know in his two films. I could kind of see that. doesn't really explain where the like 300 foot Adonis statues come from, but he, uh, he liked his Greek male bodies. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. He, he kind of built, you know, the, the fetishist Batman movies where he's like, everyone just gets to have their kind of like, you know, the shit they don't get to see in other movies, like giant dude statues and nip- rubber nipples and just crazy shit. But, you know, to each their own. I, I don't. His architecture has never made a fucking lick of sense to me. Either of these movies, like the Gotham City does not make sense. It doesn't feel like a real place like it does in the Burton films. And that's my thing, because, okay, I get it. You're running to get inspiration from the Batman comics, right? Especially the era in which you're kind of drawing from in doing this, because I even think the, those era comics, the 40s and 50s, were a little bit more campy in tone compared to later Batman comics. Um, but again, yeah, even with, like, Burns, 
I was talking to Josh about it actually. It was like, it burns Batman. And I was like, yes, there's a bit of camp in that. And but he knew how to make Gotham City with both his own visual style of film making, his influences from the comics to make it into a living, breathing city that actually felt like it could be a real city. Like I believed in his Gotham City. Schumacher went so over the top with his take that it, I'm like you, it doesn't feel like an actual city. I am so perplexed at the architecture. Anytime they show like a southern shot of the scene that ran where it's like, it'll be a building with like waterfall going to God knows where somewhere in like downtown. I'm like, where the fuck is this coming from? Or the bike race in the fourth film that apparently takes place on fucking the, the thir- 50th level of the road that exists. Like it's so fucking strange. And then what we, what we don't, and then, what doesn't help in both films is like copious amounts of like wide angle, you know, big ass establishing shots that are CGI to shit that have not fucking aged well. Yeah, I agree entirely. Uh, I think it's a big part of why these films are kind of reviled because they just don't feel like anybody took any aspect of it seriously. Um, one of my biggest complaints is the music. Elliot Goldenthal's score is so fucking lazy. I don't know what it is. I think it's the fact that he didn't change anything for Batman and Robin. Like he didn't add any new character scores or anything. It's the same music, like identically. And that really bothers me, at least with, you know, Batman Returns. Elfman wrote a Penguin score, a Catwoman score, and then added that into the Batman score he made from 89. You build on that shit. Goldenthal just copy pasted and was like, fuck it. I don't I don't care. Well, I mean, again, especially Batman and Robin, they weren't making a movie. They were making a, a glorified commercial so fucking merchandise. That's that's what blows me away with Batman and Robin. Like, no one went to that thing. And let's make a sequel to a fucking big hit film. Let's just, they've been thinking we got to sell toys. I'm like, why would you go into that trying to make a two-hour film? Spockles my fucking mind. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And compared to the other music, like the music we've gotten for, you know, like Elfman's score, is iconic. Uh, Hans Zimmer's score for the Dark Knight trilogy, I think, is pretty up there in terms of you know association with Batman. Michael Giacchino's score for the Batman, I already fucking adore from what I've heard. Golden Thalls sounds like the redheaded stepchild of Batman scores. It's like, yeah, it kind of counts, but nobody loves you. No one really wants it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I, that's always bugged me my whole life. Like, why did they change? Why didn't they just keep the Elfman score? If it's the Batman music, why didn't they just keep it? Because again, probably Warner Brothers absolutely wanted to distance themselves from the first two. If you couldn't tell, by the way, everything's been going with this one. It's been WB stepping in constantly saying, nope, this is what we want. Nope, don't do that. No, you you want to keep Renee Russo, who's probably only in like her 30s, and have her be a love interest to a young 20-something-year-old Val Kilmer? No. How dare you? Get rid of her. Drop her. Like, what the fuck? Warner Brothers, like, shut. This is why you've had such a troubled issue with DC. Warner Brothers, shut the fuck up and let these guys make their goddamn movies. I wish DC had, you know, built their own studio, like, before they were, studied, you know, joined at the hip with Warner Brothers. wonder what, what these could have been like if DC had full creative control over their products. Probably be like the animated films that we get that people like a lot more. Yeah. Then we'd actually have something to rival the MCU and there could actually be some like serious competition in Hollywood. But, I know. Uh, yeah. 
Nope. Nope. <sighs> you imagine a world where like they do the, you know, we got the multiverse of madness for Marvel and DC's like, well, crisis on infinite earths, motherfucker. Top that. Like they just <laughs> doing that to one another. Oh. Yeah. It'd be fucking great. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was not so great. Now you're probably, for those of you who know, you a lot of you are already aware of the antics of Al Kimmer, um behind the scenes. And I'm sure for those who really know, also were of Mr. Grumpy Tommy Lee Jones, Mr. Grumpy Pants on all his movies. Um, so if you're wondering, Schumacher has been, ex- was, sorry, was extremely not shy about talking about the problems he faced in dealing with both of these actors. Um, I don't, I'm not going to go into too, de- too much detail about, you know, um, Kilmer, but it did get to the point apparently when I was looking it up where Schumacher straight up told him to his face, you need to stop being rude. And Kilmer's response was to not talk to him for like a couple of days. Would we f- refuse to talk to him? Where's bloated Marlon Brando when you need him? <laughs> I can't imagine someone co- like you're being rude to the cast and crew. And you're, you're being called childish and stuff because you're constantly creating issues. The director comes up to you and says, like, hey, look, you need to stop being rude to everyone. Like, not, ins- not insulting you, not calling you names. Just like, hey, man, like, stop being rude to everyone. And your fucking response is to be like, well, then I'm not talking to you because I don't like that you told me not to be rude to everyone. Hmm. It is still amazing to me that Val Kilmer was on the top of the A-list for as long as he was with behavior like that. It's amazing that he wasn't just, you know, booted immediately, but he got to do that on so many movies. Well, and again, talking about Hollywood, right. With like the Rene Russo situation, and then apparently having issues with an older woman being love interest. They allowed well, it. Like no one, it's not like anyone went to, went to be like, Hey, you don't do that to your fucking director. Like, stop it. Like you're being a fucking child, you know, and as we saw with the Island Dark Tomorrow, no one backed up Richard Stanley. They were like, no, you just, just deal with it, man. Just deal with it. It's fucking Val Kimmer. He's going to bring us in money. Like, they they encouraged it. They allowed it. And so if someone pointed them aside being like, you need to fucking stop or we're, we're done with you. You will not have a career. Enough. Treat people with fucking respect. Like, no one's doing that. Ugh. You know, at least Jim Carrey was a decent dude from what I hear. I hope I'm, I hope that's accurate. <laughs> well, yes. Um, Schumacher never talked badly about Jim Carrey and anything I was looking up. Um, but Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> had a lot of issues with Jim Carrey. And Carrey has been on record as saying, like, um, you know, that was when Jim Carrey was a really big star. Like, everyone knew who he was. He was a new, ca- he was a new guy on the block. And he, he has belief, and it's been backed up by some people, that Tommy Lee Jones felt very threatened um, by that when they were doing the film together. Because um, think about it, at that point, Tommy Lee Jones was established. People already kind of knew who he was. He'd been in the game for a while. So think about it. You're this established actor. you got this hot new talent coming in. Everyone loves him. He's the fucking biggest comedian on the face of this goddamn earth in films. And now he's in your Batman movie. And if you're Mr. Grumpy Pants, Tommy Lee Jones, you're going for a little thread. Um, but, and actually, to give you an idea before we get to the famous line, um, 
even Val Kilmer, when I was watching Bone Features, he he actually clarified something. Mr. Kilmer pointed out that there is a magazine article trying to say that he didn't like Jim Carrey. And he goes, nope, that's wrong. He goes, I love Jim Carrey. He's like, he was a delight. He came on set. He tried to make you laugh. He was so much fun to have on set. Even Val Kilmer defended Jim Carrey. He's, I mean, I don't know if that's the guy I'd want in my corner, but still, that's kind of neat that, you know, Jim Carrey was just trying to, you know, lighten the mood on what I bet was a tense set. Yep. A lot of people made a comment that, like, he, a lot of the actors, like, Chris, I don't know what I'm saying, like, yeah, uh, Schumacher said, like, he would just come in and he was like, they're like, he was this big personality, but he was never egotistical. He just loved to make people laugh and he'd always do something goofy and, you know, he was just trying to have fun with people. And so, yeah, from what I've heard, yeah, he was an incredibly great person to work with, you know, nice dude. I know he's had some kind of weird stuff in recent years. Um, so from what I understand, incredibly great dude to work with and just trying to make people laugh, you know, him being fucking Jim Carrey for Christ's sakes. Um, I hope at least once. I, I bet he didn't because he Carrie seems like he's good at reading the room. <laughs> but you know that scene in Ace Ventura when he talks out of his ass? Yeah. yeah. I hope he did that to Tommy Lee Jones at least once. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate the guy who did that to me, too. Yeah. I still to this day laugh when he comes. I think it's the second movie. It's the second Ace Ventura he comes out of the fucking fake <laughs> elephant or whatever. The rhino, <laughs> yeah. The rhino. God, it was hot in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny stuff. But oh, yeah. I, yeah. I can't wait to see him in Sonic. Fuck Sonic too, because I'm telling you, Sonic the Hedgehog was like a return to phone for him. Like he was so fucking good in that. Oh. Cool. But uh yes, so sorry. But yeah, so from what I yeah, you're right. Jim Carrey was not difficult. He was probably one of the easier actors to work with on the set. Um, but again, going back to what we were getting what I was getting to with the upcoming line, and apparently Tommy Lee Jones was not having fucking any of it. Uh and he this is a guy that has been famously known to be very grumpy on set, not a delight to work with for many reports. Um and Jim Carrey, he has said this on NBC, so you can actually look at him on YouTube, has been quoted as saying, apparently, Tommy Lee Jones came up to him one day because he was like, yeah, he did not like me because apparently he came up to him one day and said, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> Keep in mind how Tommy Lee Jones plays up fucking Two-Face, by the way, and he says that to him. <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? Who says that to another human being? I cannot sanction your buffoonery. Are you like, like, is this the Marines? Like, what are we talking about here? How dare you have fun on this fucking, this is a professional set, you cocksucking son of a bitch. Now, action. <laughs> ah, Two-Face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hypocrite. I mean, just, I think Tommy Lee Jones, you know, obviously, you know, threatened by Jim Carrey, but also I think super resentful of the fact that he had to even do this. I think, yeah, well, because he didn't want this. His son convinced him to do it. Yeah, he wanted to do a movie that his kids could watch because I guess his kids can't just watch The Fugitive. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but don't take your baggage onto set and throw it in everybody else's face. It's not their fault that you are insecure about 
the hot new talent who is a nice dude. <laughs> like, just accept that. Don't like, you're not going to out ham Jim Carrey. That's never going to happen. Especially in the 90s. Oh my God, no. <laughs> so just do the best two face you can do, collect the check, and then go do something that you deem worth your time. <laughs> Look, the, <laughs> the things that, especially the night, and I would argue still to this day, he can pull off. Um, the things Jim Carrey could do in the night is with his body and his face. No, you're not going to fucking out ham, out fucking comedic that dude in that regard. He had physical, he is to me one of the greats when it comes to physical comedy. Well, he was, I think, like the first guy in a long time, maybe ever, to have three number one films at the box office at the same time in 94 with Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask. So, like, right there, like, this dude was gold. He was a rock star. He was a moneymaker. He was a box office grab. And I mean, Tommy Lee Jones had just won an Oscar for The Fugitive. So, like, what? Where does this insecurity come from? Like, you just won an, you were an Academy Award winning actor now. Like, what yeah. more do you have to Tom, prove, Tom? Not only that, if you want to look at acting and the type of films, why Jim Carrey? Like, he's not doing your type of films, Tom. Like, yeah, you're not going to be like, Jim Carrey ain't stealing any roles from you. <laughs> oh, and even the few times he has tried to do drama, and I would argue he's not bad. Audiences haven't latched on. Yeah, regrettably. Yeah. So I think it's like, funny that, like, in from what I've seen in Tommy Lee's career, the only one who seems to be able to soothe the savage beast is Will Smith. <laughs> like, I've seen the 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 gag reels for the Men in Black films, and Tommy like Tommy Lee Jones keeps like breaking, like laughing at Will Smith's like jokes and stuff and they like they got along really well which is yeah. so weird <laughs> it's so weird apparently because only it, it's the same situation two years later you got this hot young talent who's killing it at the box office paired with fucking tommy lee jones again so did he like get over that shit I was like did somebody talk to him and be like you gotta stop this you're a good actor tom <laughs> Did he have to do some daily affirmations? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. He's just in the mirror in only his underwear. Because I just for some reason that's the image I want to paint right now of Tommy Lee Jones just in front of the mirror, disheveled, everything. Just you're a good actor, Tom. You are. Good. You are an Oscar-winning actor. Won an Oscar for the Fugitive, Tom. You can't keep thinking like this. You're better than this. God damn it. Like that thick Texas accent, just like you got this, man. You know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I got my grandpa met him once at a restaurant. Apparently, he's just the worst. <laughs> yeah, I heard he's very grumpy, even to his fans. Like he's he an is just an all around, no like unnecessarily rude asshole who has everything and acts like he has nothing. He he I get the feeling he's like he is not thankful for his career at all, which is so weird because he's had the extremely, extremely successful career for Christ's sakes. It's like he'd rather do anything else. I watched his acceptance speech for the fugitive, and he tries to like throw out some comedy. He seems very like heartfelt and like he thanks Harrison Ford profusely. And I'm like, this guy doesn't exist. He's acting right now. <laughs> Uh, 
And also that was in like early 94. So I bet at the time he was probably in negotiations to take Two-Face. So I'm betting around that time. He's like, I don't know. Just I, I want to know the perfect storm that led to Tommy Lee Jones just being a fucking prick. <laughs> you don't just, you're not born a prick. That happens to you. <laughs> you're not bestowed the powers of being a prick. You, you earn the powers of being a prick. But uh, I don't, I don't know. Like it's weird. It's like Jim Carrey is one of the few. Like good, even though I don't exactly like his take on the Joker, uh, not the Joker. Jesus Christ, Riddler. No, hey, you know what? Jim Carrey is Joker. Maybe. Uh, um, his take on the Riddler, like it's Jim Carrey. So it's like you're getting exactly what you cast for. You know what I mean? Like especially in the '90s, you're getting exactly what you cast for. So it's like. I, I don't understand the hatred because, like, if anything, like, I'm more pissed off at you, Tommy Lee Jones, because you're not giving me a fucking two face. You're competing with goddamn Jim Carrey. Yeah. Well, also, I, you know, Jim Carrey's not trying to play, you know, edgy late '80s serial killer Riddler. He's emulating Frank Gorshin from from the '60s show, who was, you know, a wacky dude who wore a green leotard and gave puzzles. So, in that respect, he's pulling it off. Yeah. And we are, and hey, we're about to get the probably you know the edgy Riddler with the new Batman anyway, so it kind of worked out. Um, with all that said, ultimately, none of this would lead to failure, as you probably thought. You're thinking, oh my god, this all sounds like it's going to bomb. No, no, as we stated, this one was a huge box office success, mixed reviews from critics, you know, um, not as gloriously raved about as the past two films. But in the middle, um, in recent years, this was interesting to me. I know I kind of brought it up a little bit earlier. Yeah, there's been talks of a Schumacher cut existing and getting a possible release. Um, it's supposedly a much darker take, contains significantly less camp, and apparently 50 minutes of alternate footage. So you're telling me that somewhere out there, there's the camp takes of Two Face. And then there's the serious takes of Two-Face? I don't know. Maybe. Because that would make me laugh. If there's a whole, like, there's a world out there where Tommy Lee Jones is a fucking fantastic Two-Face. And Jim Carrey is a restrained Riddler. And Schumacher said, you know what? Let's do one take for fun. And that for became some, the movie. For some reason, I'm thinking of Dr. Strangelove and what they told um Yeah. George ah, C. Scott. Thank you, George C. Scott. When they were like, oh, yeah, we're not rolling. This is just for fun. <laughs> I love that, but that's ballsy, man. <laughs> that is ballsy. And, and all, I remember when I read that, I'm like, that is not the same fucking Kubrick that I know. He was like, it has to be this way. And if you go out of, this, out of the way I want you to do it, I will be angry and you won't know it. <laughs> I reiterate, nobody is born a prick. It happens to you. <laughs> Somewhere between Dr. Strangelove and The Shining, Kubrick lost the world to live. You guys can't fight here. It's the war room. <laughs> I they love Dr. Strangelove. That is such a great movie. They have planes that go, ooh. <laughs> I love when he, he's like arguing and George T. Scott just fucking falls over. And like flips and then gets back up and just keeps going. 
Like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, such a good movie. Um, uh, before uh, we move on to awards, though, is there anything else you'd like to add? I know I really was trying to crunch quite a bit into like a shorter thing than what I was looking at. There's a scene in the movie where we get to see on a small little television uh, the origin of Two-Face. When Harvey Dent is in court, Batman's just sitting in the crowd, I guess, like waiting to testify, I guess. And um, no, nobody checked Sal Maroney before he got into that courtroom. And instead of bringing, I don't know, a gun, a knife, a pencil, something stabby, something shooty, pulls out a little jar of acid and hurls it at Harvey Dent, who somehow uses a file folder to cover half of his face and the other half gets doused with acid and two faces born. But if you watch very carefully, that acid got on his entire face. Everything about that scene is ridiculous. Like, yeah, first off, it's a decently sized jar of acid. So first off, I'm like, how did that get through security? That's going to um, bulge. That's going to bulge. The bailiff's going to see that. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's bulges happening wherever you put that. Um, then secondly, um, Batman is just sitting in costume. So during the day, which means Bruce Wayne ain't doing shit at his company. Um, <laughs> he's sitting in costume to, I guess, testify against a fucking known crime boss. I don't think your uh, your testimony there, Batman. Like it's it's a fucking crime lord. They are aware of his crimes. Well, also, like I'm pretty sure that any evidence obtained by Batman is completely inadmissible. He is not a sworn officer of the court. He has no right legally to do any of this shit. There's no way he's gonna be like his testimony is gonna fly here. Sal was gonna get off. He didn't need to attack Harvey Dent. Well, maybe not in this world. In this world, apparently, they're very accepting of Batman. In Funnily the enough, films. in the comics, that is exactly what happened. That's how two, Harvey Dent became Two-Face. In a courtroom, Maroney threw acid at him. And Batman couldn't get there in time. He was in the room, but he couldn't, couldn't do it. God, that's terrible. <laughs> it just seems um, extra ridiculous in this movie for some reason. I think to me, it's just the fact that like the acid clearly goes over his whole face and they act like it was a perfect down the middle <laughs> divide. I think it's, to me, it's like that and just seeing Batman in costume in court, like just sitting there could... like <laughs> <laughs> he didn't pat Maroney down before he went up there. Like you think Batman would be in charge of the pat downs. If he's there. Like just see Bat- Batman just patting everyone down. Like he actually showed up there to be like an extra layer of security. He's just patting everyone down that comes in. I feel like if Bruce Wayne ever somehow like loses his fortune, Batman will take like side gigs as like a bouncer or like extra security for people. <laughs> no. Anyway, I just wanted to point out that scene because it's not involved in any of my awards, but I do find that scene just weird and off-putting. It's weird and off-putting, but that is at the same time a great segue to our awards. <laughs> and now first one. So, moving on to the awards and the first one, the Zack Snyder Oliver scene. Which one did you ultimately pick that wasn't Batman in the courtroom? <laughs> this has been um, the worst 
scene of the movie. I, actually, I I did I had forgotten about this because it's so stupid. I block it out. Um, prior to this, I had written down the scene where Chase uh, fakes a bat signal to try and fuck Batman, uh, and Batman amazingly doesn't like take her up on it. I, I didn't include that scene because something happened later on, and I'm like, somebody wrote this down. They had to choreograph this. Kung Fu Laundry. Oh, did we put uh, name it? We put the same goddamn scene. <laughs> I called it acrobatic laundry to go with his circus t- tenure. Yeah, I don't see what's so acrobatic about that though. Just <laughs> it's it's fucking karate laundry, and it's so stupid and so unnecessary to the character beyond just establishing that Dick Grayson is a humongous douchebag. <laughs> The way it's like set up, the music playing, the cutting of it, it's just so fucking out of nowhere and like obnoxious. And Alfred isn't shown to have seen the whole thing, which means Alfred just stood there and watched this all happen. I want a looping gif of him flinging the socks. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst part for me. (laughs) There's something about when he gets done, the look he gives Alfred, like, you see that shit? And I'm like, that was stupid. Alfred, do not say something deep and philosophical like you tend to do. Call him a fucking idiot, please. <laughs> Alfred gives him this like, hmm, I sense a sidekick in the in the works kind of vibe. Alfred, look, I really like um the actor who plays Alfred in all these films. Yeah. Um, but he's the worst at keeping that fucking shit a secret. He has like almost no issues with people finding the secret cave. <laughs> Why? is the default setting of intruder alert. Why does that immediately trigger the reveal of fucking everything? (laughs) You'd think that would be lockdown. Don't let the bat mobile come up. Don't activate the bat computer. Like shut that shit down and just try to play it off. Like it's just a cave. Yeah. At that point you're rich. Okay. You have a fucking cave in your place. Who doesn't? That has a lot of money. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck it. All right, cool. Um, yeah, it's in- insane. That and the fact that in this this full-run set of films, anyone who ever stumbles upon the ga- cave either becomes his sidekick or Batman fucks because it's a female. So, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't understand. Like, their, their security on this Batcave is atrocious. They don't give a shit. <laughs> Well, also, a lot of it's just Alfred taking liberties. Like, in, in Batman 89, he literally just leads Vicky Vale into the Batcave because he feels like Bruce needs a pick-me-up. <laughs> like, here she is. And in this one, he's like, you know what? I did just make Robin a costume. Oh, and also, my granddaughter is going to be joining the team. I hope that's okay. <laughs> it just Does he run any of this shit by the guy he works for? No, Alfred's like, you seem lonely. Here's a sidekick, or, you know, if you want to, huh? Huh, Bruce? It's, it's been a while. I know, I'm Alfred. It's been a while. I don't know why it's been a while. You're, you're Batman. I do like the idea that, like, Alfred really cares about Bruce Wayne's sex life. And, like, he, he just sits there and is constantly, like, trying to get ladies to come over to, for Bruce. Something about that's really funny to me. <laughs> One of my favorite stupid scenes is when uh, Bruce is uh, 
activates his like video watch, which was a thing people didn't have in the nineties. So Chase should be a little concerned about that. <laughs> and um, Alfred's like, he took the car and he's like, what my Bentley? Like, no, the other car, my Jaguar, no, the other car. Like she's right there. <laughs> Chase didn't leave the room. Chase is two feet away. She can hear yeah. all of this. <laughs> like for a doctor, she's a fucking idiot. Now the other, other, other car. <laughs> the one that might be meant for a bat. We don't know. No, not confirming. And you're um, telling me the Batmobile does not have a kill switch that only Bruce Wayne can activate? <laughs> no. See, in this, the, and this is why we end up with something like the Lego Batman movie that made fun of all these things and is a joy to watch and an absolute delight of a film. <laughs> you know, my favorite thing about the Lego Batman movie is besides the fact that they left in, like they put in the line, you want to get nuts? Like, let's get nuts. Besides that, it's the fact that Billy D. Williams played Two-Face. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the love they crafted into that film is astounding. I think... For some reason, I keep thinking the scene when Batman's like, no, 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 no. And he keeps moving around the room while he's saying it. One of my favorite bits is when um, uh, he meets Dick Grayson. And he's like, the kid, my name's like, like, they call me Dick. And he's like, well, kids can be cruel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, I love that movie. Oh, it's so good. God, remember when that was a promising franchise? Like the Lego films, like Lego movie was funny, Lego Batman was good, and then like Lego and Lego Ninjago just fucking went nowhere, and now with no more Lego movies. <laughs> it was too much too too soon. It was like Lego movie was a hit, so they made like just one after another, and everyone was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> too much. Too much Lego. <laughs> Calm down. We know we like the Lego movie and we did like Lego Batman, but let's calm the fuck down now. Um, That's what I, happened. Yeah, before I move on to the line, I did have one backup, so I, I didn't know if we were going to pick the same fucking laundry scene, which we did. But uh, the other pick I had lined up was on the scene when Batman burst through the fucking ceiling tower thingy, and the rando in the crowd, a grown man... It's Batman! Or it's Batman like, is screaming it like a child right next to Chase Meridian, by the way. Like, what was that for? What? One of my uh, what's in the box that I didn't pick, I almost did. It was just that quote. Batman! Yeah! <laughs> it is so weird. I love what seeing extras try too hard in movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good one. Oh, god. Yeah, that was a woo, woo. Um, with that, though, let's move on to the first line. Our line, what you got? I've got two lines, uh, both are cringy as fuck. Uh, my first is the line that opens the movie, not a good start, and it's Alfred saying, Can I persuade you to take a sandwich? And Batman, in a very serious voice, goes, I'll get drive through. <laughs> like, right there, I'm like, okay, this is going to suck. <laughs> That's what a lot of people said in 95, I guarantee you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have three lines. That's one of them. So now I just have two. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, that was a 
terrible fucking like it's it's clearly them trying to make a pun but like if there's one thing i, I will say that valkyrie could not do was make puns which i don't think is really a negative because i was kind of glad he couldn't do it but it does make it stand out when he tries I guarantee you Val Kilmer is not very good at comedy, but he sees himself as a comedic genius. I guarantee you. He thinks he's the funniest son of a bitch in the room. <laughs> oh. he, he looks at him and goes, huh? Huh? Funny, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, my other line comes from the scene where Chase hijacks the the bat signal which i think should have landed her in jail uh that's misuse of police property but you know whatever and false police report i think gordon didn't give a shit he came up there in his pajamas like what's going on (laughs) (laughs) uh um but yeah in that scene batman doesn't just like jumper which we all would have done i mean clearly you got nothing going on that's that's the bat signal Look, one so one Nicole Kidman, even oh, yeah, but back then, young, oh my god, yes, yeah. And uh, another letterboxd review I didn't go with said, uh, I wish I was dedicated to something as much as Nicole Kidman is dedicated to fucking Batman in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what, yeah, I, I've never committed to anything like that. <laughs> But um, the line I went with is just so stupid and repeated in Batman and Robin. It's when she's seducing him and he says, it's the car, right? Chicks love the car. Batman would never say that. <laughs> Again, it's he's not good at one-liners at all in this movie. It's the one thing I have against his portrayal of Batman. <laughs> that's, it's, that's it? That's the one? <laughs> Again, I stand by it. Kilmer's not a bad Batman in Bruce Wayne, but he cannot stick one-liners to save his fucking life. I don't, I don't know if this is just the way Kilmer looks or holds himself, but I feel like there's random moments where Batman is just staring with his mouth open. And that, that, that bugs me a little bit. Batman in the mouth breather. <laughs> yeah, he's just like the cow. He's got the eyes, and then like his mouth is just a little bit like, I don't like he's thinking of something and doesn't realize his mouth is open. It's because Nicole Kidman's throwing herself at him. He can't stop. He can't stop screaming like. The scene later on when he like goes to hook up with her as Batman, which is hilarious. That Batman's like got a booty call going, but and then she's like, "I'm in love with somebody else," and he knows it's him. So right there, just take the mask off and go for it. What I love is he turns around and you see him in the camera do the fucking smile like, oh, he's like, he like, oh, yeah, I'm playing this game just right. <laughs> that, that smile. There's something so unnerving about seeing Batman smile. <laughs> well, those are my lines. Yeah. So luckily, I saw him down to two. You know, we both agreed with the first one. Uh, my other one is another fucking Batman line. Um, and that's when he gets very passionate and tells Dr. Chase Meridian at the beginning of the movie, their first meeting, bats on rodents, Dr. Meridian. And just if you want to not tell anyone you're Batman without, if you want to tell someone you're Batman without, you know, telling them you're Batman, then that's one way to do it. <laughs> why, do you, why do you care so much about bats? No reason. 
Not at all. They're just really lovely animals that hunt at night and may or may not fight crime. Okay? Does anyone understand that? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I love that he is constantly bringing up bats, like as Bruce Wayne. That is funny as hell. Like the ink plot, like you got a thing for bats. She's like, uh, no, do you? Billionaire with access to all sorts of technology who kind of sounds like Batman because he does and nothing. Has a, boys. has a cave that your butler was so kind to show me because you guys don't do shit about hiding it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, it's the passion you get in that moment. I'm like, dude, like, calm down. Don't let people know that you're Batman. Um, another one was a it's a fucking throwaway line that's so goddamn stupid. Leads to a stupid goof that I hated, and I was like, oh my god, let me puke right now. And that's when Robin, I'm sorry, Dick Grayson, because he's not Robin yet, stole the steals the Batman vehicle, the Batmobile. So again, you can just do that too. Um, it's acting and telling people he's Batman, saves a young lady, and she pauses the fighting to go, doesn't Batman usually get to kiss the girl? <laughs> no, he's dark and brooding. And apparently he doesn't like to fuck as Batman, unless it's this movie. So no, 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 he doesn't. He saves the day and he slinks off into the night. I mean, he was ready to fuck Catwoman in Batman Returns. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, come on, Michelle Fire from that kind of scene. Batman's only human. Uh yeah, I doesn't Batman ever kiss the girl it was weird, you know, after they were gonna rape her. I I yeah, doubt yeah. like making out with the saviors the like on her mind a dude wrote that line yeah it's it's just a ter- it's poorly timed because yeah it, they, she goes probably gonna get raped and then she has a moment to do that and again they put a stupid musical sting where they kiss and then he says an equally stupid line that i could probably put to replace the i'll get tried to when chris O'Donnell goes like oh i could get a superhero thing i'm like oh my fucking god I nearly wrote down uh, when he's pulling up to the like the hookers and he goes in this like weird Chicano accent. Come take a ride in my love machine, baby. Forgot about that. Which I want to point some out. Does Batman really visit hookers? Because they knew him. <laughs> that car pulled up and they were like, hey, Batman, baby. And again, I know you're like, who does the Batmobile? They were up close and personal. Like, I has Batman visited some hookers to get some rocks off? And if so, does he keep the mask on? Batman stops crime by any means necessary. (laughs) The things he needs to do for Intel are between him and whoever he's banging for that Intel. (laughs) As we've established, this Batman is a horny motherfucker not the only one <laughs> i do love when he's like when chris o'donnell goes up against like the gang and they're like who the hell are you he just arrogantly goes i'm batman and they're like they start laughing at him he's like i forgot my suit what <laughs> like anyone's gonna buy that shit <laughs> yeah and then you know they and then they see that actual batman they're like oh shit we gotta get out of here it's like no see, that's what you want and, like they see the actual batman and they actually get scared because he's going to kill them. Because say what you will about Batman doesn't kill. Some of those punches and moves he's pulling off are going to kill him, man. I'm just saying. 
Oh, dude, in the Schumacher Burton films, Batman kills quite frequently. Like, I would argue in any of the films, he fucking kills. In the video games, he kills like I have yet, especially in order to sit there and be like, oh yeah, that's yeah, he's just maimed them. They're gonna be in the hospital. No, he's killing motherfuckers. Like the Arkham series, like the video game series, Arkham, like, oh my god, was he murdering people left and right? And they're like, no, he punched them really, really hard. Yeah, hard enough to kill, probably. <laughs> Dude, in Arkham Knight, I love incapacitating people with the riot gun and then just driving over them. <laughs> like, there it is, murder. But, like, in the Burton film, I mean, in the in Batman Returns, he literally puts a bomb on a guy, smiles, and punches him down a hole, and the dude explodes. Yeah. <laughs> in this one, he kills Two-Face by hurling a bunch of coins at him. After oh, lecturing yeah. Robin the entire movie about how he shouldn't kill Two-Face. <laughs> yeah, he did it. Look, I'm just saying, like, Peacemaker had a very good point in that one episode. So I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Batman's like, I love how he rationalizes it in Batman Begins when he beats Ra's al Ghul on the train and he says, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. Like, buddy, that's... <laughs> You're killing <laughs> Yeah, the train's going to crash, chip, and explode. He's going to die. He's the Lazarus pit has not been established in the universe, so he's going to die. Yeah, but whatever. Batman's a hypocrite. We all know that. Yeah. We we know that. But now let's move on to I, I kind of kind of on point with hypocrites here, but Steven Seagal. <laughs> the worst performance. What do you got? Oh, okay. So Val Kilmer is good as Batman. I'll give him that. I don't necessarily care for the man, but he he has what it takes to handle this one movie. Tommy Lee Jones is over the top and ridiculous, but I don't I don't hate him. The only one I can't stand in this movie is Nicole Kidman. Okay. I hate the character of Chase Meridian. She is supposed to be a brilliant psychologist. Not once is that ever shown. Like oh, dude, uh, Schumacher and the bonus features. Talked about how he was happy to get her because she brought so much class and sophistication to the role. I was like, when? When she was on a building in lingerie trying to fuck Batman after using the bat signal just to fuck him? Like, <laughs> okay. Class? What are you talking about? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I, her character is like just constantly, her whole arc is I want to fuck Batman. There is nothing else of substance in this character. Nothing. Oh man, that's yeah, no, that's good. It's not my pick, luckily. So we did diverge, but no, that is good because I I do think Nicole Kidman is trying performance-wise, but god damn is that her character ran terribly. It's like it doesn't matter how you know, me and Josh talk about all the time sometimes. It's like sometimes it just does not matter how hard you're trying as a as an actor or as a director. If it's a shit script, it's a shit script. Um True. this is that case, like she can try as hard as she can. The script, the scripting for her, the dialogue for her is fucking awful. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've yeah, I've always had a problem with this character. Uh, the weird like way she's trying to like help Bruce Wayne through his repressed memories, which never really comes up again. Uh, I, I, and the fact that she couldn't figure out like that Batman and Bruce Wayne were the same person. Like you couldn't make that connection. No, she had to literally kiss them and then be like, your lips taste familiar. 
Oh, yeah. So there it is. Who do you got? I went with Tommy Lee Jones. Fair enough. Due to the fact that it's to mean him not really trying to give us a good two-face. He's merely competing with Jim Carrey. And to the point that it's just I'm watching the Joker again in Batman Forever. Like, there's nothing about this that screams to your face. I don't see how you told me, like you just said, he literally just won an Oscar. What the fuck is going on in this movie then? Like, there is nothing that tells me this guy is a good actor in this film. Just, I'm just, again, trying to compete with someone that he doesn't need to compete with. Jim Gary is trying to do his own fucking thing with the Riddler, and it works to the most part. So, again, he casts. In his prime, Jim Carrey. Um, and it just got to the point where, yeah, he was, it was less like he wasn't Two-Face. He was fucking Joker that just looked like Two-Face. I, I just want to point out something that I never noticed before uh, until this recent viewing of the movie. Every time Two-Face is, uh, every time Two-Face flips his coin, they cut away real fast to a coin flipping. And then they cut back to the coin landing in his hand. That tells me one thing. I don't think Tommy Lee Jones knows how to flip a coin. And I don't think he bothered to learn. Because <laughs> we never see a full shot of Tommy Lee Jones flipping the coin and having it land in his hand. They probably asked him and he got grumpy and then he went, okay, never mind, never mind, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like that scene from Taken 2 or 3 where Liam Neeson hops the fence and it's like 18 different cuts. She <laughs> can't do it anymore. Um, the only thing I, I, I really liked Two-Face's introduction when he flips the coin and he's talking about like the nature of luck. Like that was Two-Face. But then it's the Joker for the rest of the movie. Yeah, like it was there in the beginning and then they just drop it. I also <sighs> didn't like how Two-Face kept flipping the coin to get the desired effect he wanted. Like if he didn't lay it on kill, he's like, well, I'll flip it again. Two-Face doesn't work like that. No, it's... Uh... And it's fine that the, like, what, I would say, like, the 10 minutes we maybe got, 10, 15, of um, Two-Face and Dark Knight worked far better than anything we got in this. Oh, I think Aaron Eckhart was brilliant as Two-Face, but, you know, he gets overshadowed by everything else in that movie. But that brief bit we got was so good. Yeah, actually, to me, one of my very minor complaints with Dark Knight is um, they shouldn't him off they should have absolutely saved him for dark knight rises yeah but then like the death of two-face is kind of the driving force of like why the police force turns on batman why the city turns on batman like you need yeah, that I, the plot to like, yeah but i feel like they could have found a way to apply that with the joker batman storyline like how the joker could have won somehow with that well here's like here's the biggest question why not just pin these murders on the joker who's been killing people this entire movie why does it have to be Batman? Yeah, it, it never made like honestly, like to this day, it's never made sense to me. I'm like, why don't you just put it on the Joker? Like, and not only that, why don't you just fucking say it was Harvey Dent? Like, I've never understood. Like, first off, it's a fucking city, dude. It's not a small town. Like, <laughs> calm down. Like, you can say, like, yes, Joker Carson to go this way. And well, this is what happened. Well, they mentioned that earlier in the movie. I watched The Dark Knight like a few days ago. So thankfully, it's all fresh. And um, the reason they had to say it was it was Batman or like they couldn't say that Harvey Dent had committed these murders because that then in value, like it completely uh, devalues his entire bust of taking down the mob. They all go free. 
if Harvey Dent committed these crimes, because then his credibility goes out the window and they can't like they can't prosecute. So they needed to keep him like clean in order to get the mob out of Gotham. There you go. I still feel like that could have been handled better, but there, yeah, but that that was what that was their reasoning. Yeah. Like I said, I I think I I wish they had found a way to do it to where like Harvey Dent stayed alive because like I said, I think Aaron Eckert was really good in his brief time as Two Face. Well, that was the original plan when Heath Ledger uh was gonna be in part three. Like part three was gonna be the Two Face movie. But after Heath Ledger died, they had to compress. They still could have done the Two Face part, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I I I'm about to say I know there was like a lot of original idols for everyone that went out the window. Oh well. Um moving on with this. The Michael Bay versus making decision. What do you got? Uh, I had a couple things here. Um I had that, that brief scene where he does smile after get, uh, meeting Chase for the booty call. He's like, ah, I'm going to fuck this lady out of costume. <laughs> totally. Without the mask on. No cod piece for me. <laughs> um, I had that. Robin, stay out. <laughs> I think it's weird that Robin's dialogue is clearly written for somebody who's supposed to be like 13, 14 years old. Yeah, it's it's astonishing. Chris O'Donnell's like clearly in his twenties, and I'm like, you guys should have maybe rewrote this dialogue. <laughs> um, but I ultimately I had to go with a, a a very odd story decision that is so nonsense, like nonsensical. Uh, it's when Batman or Bruce randomly decides to quit being Batman in the middle of a crime spree. When he's just like, you know what, Chase wants to bang me, so I'm done. I'm out. Batman's not my Gotham's not my problem anymore. You handle Two Face and and Riddler if you want. I don't give a shit. <laughs> He's just like wrapping it up. He's not gonna go take out Two Face and Riddler and then retire. He's like, I'm done now. Look, my dick is hard. This woman wants to play with it. I'm done. I am no longer Batman. I am a man about to go get laid a lot. I don't know why, but I'm picturing this like. In like Rick from Rick and Morty talking about it, like I'm in a dry spell, Robin. You don't understand. <laughs> you gotta let me have this, Robin. <laughs> Robin, I need you to step it up, okay? I can't do it right now. But he's, even then, he's not like train. He's it, it, at that point, he has no plans in training Dick to be Robin. He's just like, I'm stepping away. Like Riddler can have Gotham. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like God, Batman would never do that. <laughs> Let, let, let the bad guys take Gotham. You know what? Fuck it. I'm done. Let them take it. I'm done with this city. Yeah. Like, I know Two-Face killed your parents, but that's not my department anymore. So I don't know why you're still in my fucking house. <laughs> you know, not my department. Hey, Ben, we got not my department. If you need I'll to give go you Superman's to number, tell him to deal with this shit. I'm out. <laughs> If it involves anything with fish, I got someone I know as well. Herdy fucks fish. Excuse me for reference. Oh. It's just so odd that they would choose to have Batman like turn his back on Gotham City, like in the middle of Riddler trying to conquer it. Yeah. Like it's and hey, actually going back to the Dark Knight trilogy, you know where they made it make sense that he retired the the cape and cow at, at the end of the Dark Knight. Instead, they're like, nope, we're gonna do it mid crime speed. Crime spree, 
which to me kind of slows the movie down because I'm like, oh, so we have no fucking conflict anymore because Batman just wants to get banged. So he's like, well, I'm not doing shit. And then he only decides to go after like Riddler when he kidnaps Chase and trashes the Batcave. Like now that it's personal, he's like, I'm going to fuck this guy up. <laughs> he, I feel like that he's like a child. She was about to touch my pee pee. And you took that from me. I am coming after you with the heat of a thousand suns. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I also love that on their, on their first mission, Robin got kidnapped. <laughs> like after he's going to fuck up Two-Face and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to arrest you. Instead of like, I don't know, frisking for a gun, something. He's just like helps him up and Two-Face is like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. Oh, and then there's that holy rusted metal nod to the show, which actually I, I, I find that kind of cute. Of course you do. <laughs> it's been something we've talked about quite a bit, and I've been saying quite because I put it here, and that is Nicole Kidman's only defining character trait being how badly she wants to fuck Batman slash Bruce Wayne. I like he's halfway through the movie. It <laughs> I I it's funny. I've been this is I've been watching some stuff and that gets from Bart. I was like, I don't remember it being that bad. And then I watched it and I was like, oh my God. When I was watching for the show, I was like, wow, she literally is supposed to be this scientist, and I know nothing about her scientific background, just that she is absolutely trying to fuck the dog shit out of Batman. <laughs> Every time she encounters Batman, she is on the brink of orgasm. Like the way she's holding herself, the breathiness in her voice, the like the look, the fuck me eyes she keeps giving him. Like it's ridiculous. It is like the movie is so close to just turning into a porno every time. It's just those two. It's just like it's just her wanting to fuck Batman and like Val Kimmer not wanting it at first, but then like not taking too long to relent and be like, I kinda I kinda wanna do this because it's fucking Nicole Goodman. I kinda wanna do this so <laughs> not wanting it at first you fucking idiot like crazy man <laughs> oh whatever i bet i think i talked about this off off camera at one point but fuck it batman pulls <laughs> like in all of these movies he's he's racking up some in, some incredible names good for good for batman yeah Except maybe Batman and Robin Hugh. I can't even remember the chick that had like the two scenes and they're supposed to be engaged. Like, I just I just Ooh. remember her as not Ivy because that one scene where apparently Bruce called her Ivy and it pissed her off. <laughs> I want to say Julie, but I don't think that's right. I don't know. I, I have Jessica no idea. I don't they, they literally set it up and they don't do anything about storyline, so all right now that we've uh given our awards for that let's go a little bit more positive and do our server lining what do you got um so this might be a bit controversial especially with the new batman pending uh i think jim carrey saves this thing i think his performance as edward nigma is a delight, is crazy, is over the top, and it's fun to watch. He's clearly having a blast. Little lines like when he hits Ed Beagley Jr. over the head with the with the coffee can, and he's like, caffeine will kill you. 
like crazy shit like that. It's it's funny and it's enjoyable. And I I really I'm a big fan of Jim Carrey. So yeah, he's he's the he's the silver lining for me. And I think there's times where he's creepy, like at the end when he's like super riddler. He's in the white costume and he's like a intelligent god. And he like, I don't know. I think that he found something, and I think we all need to respect that. <laughs> now he's he is like I almost put him down because he really is the only one that seems to be having a good time on this set and enjoying what he's doing. Um, I do laugh at the part when you talk about like his line delivery when um Two Face shoots his gun in the lair. <laughs> Jim Carrey, has anyone told you you have a problem with impulse control? <laughs> I I don't know why it always make that I love that, but also when he shows up in in Two Face's pad. And also, if you look carefully, you can see him hiding in the background, waiting for his moment. Which is funny. But um, when he introduces himself, he's like, "I'm the the Riddler." Two Face just walks up and grabs him, and is like, "Gonna fucking kill him." He's like, "Who the hell are you? How'd you get in here?" <laughs> that always makes me laugh. I just picture him like immediately killing the Riddler, and like there is no conflict left. <laughs> there is no conflict, and how much would it have uh, acting blend into reality? <laughs> Just Tommy Lee Jones being like, I fucking hate you so much. I like the scene where Two Face is teaching Riddler how to punch a guy, and Riddler like hurts his hand. Yeah, is Jim Carrey's funny, and I like him, and I don't. Yeah, I I, I refuse to apologize for that. I don't think anyone's asking you to for this movie. I he gets a lot of hate for this, and I refuse to accept that. I like him in this. I, I look, I get why they cast him, and we got exactly what we got in a fucking 90s Jim Carrey. So, no, I don't hate him in this. Um, for me, I went, I guess, a little more out there in mine, and that was a simple fact that this just feels more like an actual film than its, its successor. Um, they, they actually went in to make a film. Granted, yes, they went in wanting to make something completely opposite of what came before because of the backlash, but they went in wanting to make a movie and to continue the storyline forward and not in the case of Batman and Robin where they were like we just need to sell fucking toys so chop chop get a movie made come on two hours we need a two hour run time just get some fucking action we don't care we do you want to say dialogue no just puns we don't want dialogue how fucking dare you even ask that question like it just it, yeah they wanted to make a movie instead it astonishes me and I think we talked about this in our debut episode that the guy who wrote Batman and Robin would go on to win an Oscar for a beautiful mind. Like that that's the same human being. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but that, that was that for me, that was that it's just that this, they went in wanting to make a film and they at least made a film, how you enjoy it or don't enjoy this film, obviously play up to you, but at least is a fucking movie and not just trying to sell shit. Yeah. I agree with that. You really set the bar low for an enjoyable thing about the movie. Like your your enjoyable thing is that it is a fucking movie. Yes. <laughs> I'm not really a big fan of this movie. I can tell. I can tell. I'm, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm telling you, when I saw the schedule and I was like, oh my God, I was like, oh, I was like, I get why he's doing this, but I don't want to sit to an Joel Schumacher Batman film in like a two-month time span. Fuck. There's only two, and you have done both of them. You don't have to do this anymore. I know. And this is a far cry from the worst we're going to go on this show. I know. It's it's more the, the, the spacing is what killed me. 
I took and I took an L and wasn't able to do the Batman film. I wanted to do the podcast, but it's fine because what I've listened to is still a good episode. No, no shade to Col- Colson at all. You're going to get the new one, the big one. So we're going to talk about good Batman. Then what if, I, what if we just walk out hating this new one? I may, I, I, I may kill myself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. If this isn't amazing. I'm going to be very upset. Okay. Was not expecting that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I, I have no, I, I don't really have any doubts. I think this is going to be really cool. It's getting great reviews. The cast is seeming. I've heard uh, Zoe Kravitz and Paul Dano apparently steal the show. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people already saying that like Passing is really good in the role. So, yeah, I think we're going to be just fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. But with that said, let's move on and find out what's in the box. Uh, this was tough. Uh, so despite the fact that this has a 2.4 out of five on Letterboxd, uh, a lot of people love this movie. There's a lot of very positive reviews, a lot of essays. I don't like throwing essays on here. I like short and sweet, funny one-liners. That's pretty much what I go for. So with that in mind, I found five that I hope will make you laugh. Number one, this is from Roby. Nicole Kidman's character is the horniest motherfucker I have ever seen. Three stars. <laughs> so many people take, take that from this movie. It's great. Oh, my God. Most of the reviews on Letterboxd are like, this is the horniest movie I've ever seen. God, everybody wants to fuck each other. Just fucking get it over with. It was like 90% that. <laughs> It's like it's literally a porno, but no one's fucking. <laughs> it's the wor- It's the the dialogue scenes between the sex. That's what Batman Forever is. <laughs> <laughs> no one I know, I hope is watching their porn for the dialogue scenes. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite Robin Williams jokes was a uh, he was ta- he was mocking people who say they watch NASCAR for the racing, and he's like, "Yeah, and I watch porn for the acting." You liars. <laughs> Anyway, um, number two, this is from Lauren. I thought this was harsh, but, you know, to each their own. If ISIS ever captures me and wants to torture me, this is all they need. Half a star. Oh, damn. No, Jesus Christ. It's not that bad, folks. I want to know what she thinks of Batman and Robin. Like, fuck me. I kind of want to track down if see if she reviewed that, because I I would like to know that. Uh, but of course, if she hated this that much, I wonder if she probably didn't bother with the one that's supposed to be worse. <laughs> if she if she had someone like me in her life, I'd be like, and now I have you have to watch this next one because I have to see how you respond to this one. Uh, number three, feel like we get along well with this guy, Barton Kimball. Chris O'Donnell doing laundry karate will upset me forever. Two and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes just do your laundry chris o'donnell jesus christ again i want a looping gif of the socks <laughs> look i did my bed sheets yesterday right and i did not acrobatically put them in the washer and dryer i just put them in the fucking washer and dryer and moved on with my life apparently wayne manor doesn't have a dryer they have a clothesline 
Yeah, interesting. He has he has all the money for his gadgets to be Batman in a secret Batcave. That okay, not secret, a Batcave. Um, but no fucking trier. Okay. Yeah, it's I don't I don't know. Number four, this is from Moo Reviews. Who the fuck designed this city? Why is there an entire section of it that's shittily 3D animated? Why is the Statue of Liberty in Gotham? How the fuck do you navigate this place? Two and a half stars. That's another thing we didn't really bring up. Why the fuck is the Statue of Liberty in Gotham Harbor? I forgot. And it's just just Gotham on the crown. Maybe it's like a knockoff. I don't don't know. I don't fucking know. He's right, though. God, driving in that city has to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah, if you're not getting, you know, stuck in traffic due to a supervillain attack on the Gotham Bank, you're getting lost in, like, the body of a 90-foot Adonis. So, like, I don't know how you get home. (laughs) Google Maps has a fill day getting people back home. Uh, And number five, this is from Jeffrey. Thought you'd appreciate this. This movie fucks. That's all there is to it. This movie fucks. And he gave it a heart. He loved this movie. So way to go, Jeffrey. Your standards must be ridiculously low, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> it's awesome. This movie fucks, guys. Oh, God. Only ever heard you say that. So the fact that I saw somebody else say that, I was like, I got to put that in here. <laughs> That's like one of my new favorite things to say. Like something is so good at Fox, like it doesn't make a lick of sense. But I'm 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 a fan of that statement. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Uh, well, that is all that's in the box. A uh, lot of horny dialogue and no payoff. That, that's what's in the box. All the porn without the sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. Let's uh let's wrap this let's wrap this bad boy up. So, but before I reveal what is going on next week on this show and all our other shows, let is tackle the social media aspect of this. Uh, so first off, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Filmgasm Productions. If you want to shoot us a recommendation or just say hi, I don't I don't really care. Feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com if you would like to donate and support in any way you can find us on anchor and then finally we have a website that started this whole thing known as filmgasm.com we can find reviews trailers articles and all of our episodes um we have a plethora of recently new reviews on there thanks to some catch-up weekends we had um i know austin apparently has uh put a bunch of new articles up for you guys to check out and there's i would say there's been a lot of trailers but it's been kind of like weeks of trailers if i'm being honest um that comes to social media so let's go into the next week's stuff for this show i will be joined by special guest host and fellow filmgasm contributor josh Allred. he's my friend roommate and like i said he does stuff for filmgasm sometimes i think maybe <laughs> ouch <laughs> i get what i can um we will be talking talking and dissecting one of the most infamous and blatant ripoffs I think I have seen <laughs> and that has come from the whole movement of Italian cinema known as Cruel Jaws 
tune in for that if you want to know the full title i will not reveal it here you must tune in <laughs> but it it is mind-blowing um on filmgasm join connor and christian as they discuss a uh, personal favorite horror film of mine so i'm looking forward to hearing it uh cheapers creepers um i'm saying this knowing fully where well what goes on with that um with the director of the film i do not support condone anything that he has done but i, I do like the first two troopers creepers films quite a bit so just to clear the air on that so i won't be on that episode <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm breaking in a new uh potential guest host uh he picked this episode. I guess we you know wanted to cut his teeth on something big because digging into Jeepers Creepers is no easy feat, especially when you got to dig into Victor Salva. So, um, yeah, buckle up. It's going to be an interesting one. Uh, and it's been a long time since I actually sat down and watched Jeepers Creepers. So, looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. Good film. It, like I said, it unfortunately has been sometimes overshadowed by obviously the monster that was its director in Victor Salva. But again, I, I don't condone it all we did. I'm glad he is no longer working finally and that they've been able to take the franchise away from him and we're getting a new one without him attached. Um, but I do highly enjoy the first one and to an extent the second one still as just the films itself. Um, moving on, on Oscar Sunday, we are continuing the Batman week with uh, the first of the Nolan-directed revival franchise Batman begins the film that proved that yes, he is Batman still a box office straw after the very disastrous release of Batman and Robin. Um, and then finally, we're going to cap it all off on Snake Preview. We're talking about the big boy on the block, the one we've been waiting for, the long delayed, not because if it's bad or anything, luckily, just COVID really kind of fucked the release on this one up. Robert Pass and starring the Batman. Can't forget the in the title. Oh, it's here. It's finally here. We're going to see it. I'm so excited. Yeah, I, I, I'm also can't wait. It's one, I think the last, now it was at the time, probably the last film held over from COVID. Morbius has officially been in that shit. So he just cannot stop delaying it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, finally again, towards the end of films that just really got hit with them the pandemic um so cannot wait and interesting it's coming out literally i want to say thursday night the day after the white house actually biden himself put out the pandemic reset plan what we're supposed to be doing um to get out of this fully finally which i haven't i haven't actually looked into it and read it because it was on one of those fucking paywall um news sites which pissed me off to no fucking end um But yeah, interesting that, you know, in a weird way, it got really affected by the pandemic. It's coming out right when we're, getting, we're finally getting ready to start calling this endemic and move forward. So kind of interesting how that kind of happened. Yeah, it's almost poetic. Yeah, good job, Batman. Um, until then, if this episode and the rest of this week's episode teach you anything, just say the hell out of a real life Gotham City. It's way too much to reveal level crimes going on, especially this week alone. So see y'all next week on Beyond the Bad.
Thank you.